Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 124 of the podcast. It's the 16th of May, 2018, as I record this intro. This week on the podcast, I speak with Jen Kobrick. Jen connected with me recently and suggested an episode about the idea of unschooling in the early years, which means before kids reach school age. She so beautifully explained why she thought it was a valuable topic that I asked if she'd be interested in talking about it with me, and I was thrilled when she said yes. We have a great conversation about her experience with attachment parenting through toddlerhood, ways to approach various challenges through connection rather than even gentle control, things like bedtimes, sharing, and technology. Uh, the conventional push for early childhood education, and lots more. As a personal update this week, well, I'm sick. You can probably hear that in my voice. But I have officially updated the Patreon page. All of it. The description, the new rewards, and so on. I sent out my first wallpaper image this week, and I have the private forum up and running. If you've pledged at that level, expect to receive your invitation email in the next few days. So big thanks to everyone who is already supporting my work on Patreon, and a big warm welcome to new patrons Jerry Mikalski, I hope I got that right, and Courtney Shea Swift. And thanks so much to Chrissy Florence for increasing your pledge. I deeply appreciate all my patrons and their generous support. It's vital to helping me share unschooling information and inspiration with everyone who wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my unschooling work and pick up some fun rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And if you have an unschooling aha moment you'd like to share with our community of listeners, just go to the main podcast page on my website, livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast, and scroll down a bit until you see the microphone. Just plug in your mic and click the start recording button. I would love to hear your stories, which is exactly what Elizabeth did after listening to last week's food roundtable episode. Let's listen. Hi, Pam, Meredith, Sylvia, and Joe. Thank you for the food episode. It was so good. Um, you guys inspired me to share a story too. So a few years ago, my now today is his birthday. My now 13-year-old son was really enthusiastic about a lot of different kinds of takeout food. So one day he was especially um, wanting some Wendy's dollar menu crispy chicken sandwiches. He'd, he'd been really excited about those because they were so cheap so he could have a lot of them. So one day he asked me if he could have 20 crispy chicken sandwiches from Wendy's. And I said, well, okay, sure, we can do that. But I was also wondering if he was really going to eat that many sandwiches and why 20? So anyway, I called ahead and Wendy said yes, they'd have them ready for us in 10 minutes. 
And we, we drove over to pick them up and the people at Wendy's were laughing and thought it was so funny and amusing that we had ordered 20 of these sandwiches. They happily handed the bag over to us. And when my son saw this giant bag just full of the sandwiches he asked for, he was, he was pretty happy too. So um, he ate them for three days. <laughs> he he never made it through all of them but i think that just having that abundance he could he could go and grab these sandwiches and and have something to eat that he really wanted whenever whenever he felt like it i think maybe that was the point for him so lots of fun stories like that but that one stood out to me when i listened to your episode thank you ladies thanks so much for sharing elizabeth i loved your story and I also received feedback this week from a listener unhappy with a comment in the episode about equating Twinkies and local honey. I think the general point being made was that once broken down in the body, sugar is sugar. It's indistinguishable from its source. Now, that said, of course, commercially made Twinkies contain many more processed ingredients than local honey does. But I think it's worth taking a moment to dig into the reaction. As we talked about in the episode, if you don't happen to bring Twinkies or meat or whatever into your home when your kids are younger, it's not a big deal. That's your family's culture. But as they get older and they come across these foods in the world, they may well be curious. If you don't want to perpetuate the cycle of food issues that so many of us have developed, and you want to maintain a strong, connected, and trusting relationship with your children, I think the most helpful response is to help them explore. Like Joe's McDonald's story, it's not as big a deal as fear can build it up to be. And help them without judgment, like Meredith's story about helping Ray explore meat through connecting him with others who enjoy eating meat like Elizabeth's crispy chicken sandwiches story. These are food experiences they are seeking out and will savor. Pun intended. It doesn't mean they'll make the same choices for the rest of their lives. Of course, chat with them about ingredients. Have conversations about how you and they feel after eating all sorts of different foods. And share your perspective and why you make the food choices you do but without the expectation that anyone else will make the same choices. It's that judgment piece that interferes with your child's ability to listen to and to trust themselves. And that's where food issues start to grow. In fact, that's where issues start to grow no matter the topic. Food, sleep, technology, whatever. We don't want to become that voice in their head that tells them that what they think and feel is wrong. Help them figure out for themselves what foods they enjoy and how they make them feel. Don't drown out the messages their bodies are sending them. Instead, help them better hear and interpret and meet their body's messages. And now, let's get to the conversation with Jen. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Jen Kobrick. Hi, Jen. Hi, Pam. Hi. <laughs> so Jen connected with me recently and suggested this topic, and she passionately shared some really great thoughts around the value of the unschooling mindset when it comes to parenting younger children. 
And so I'm so excited that she agreed to chat with me today and we managed to arrange it. <laughs> so to get us started, Jen, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Sure. So um, there's me, obviously, um, and I am a massage therapist by trade, although I don't do very much of that right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm interested in travel and a lot of creative pursuits like knitting and cooking and things like that. Um, and my husband, Ryan, is a professor um, of, of space flight operations um, and an all-around space geek. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and my son, Rafi, uh, will be three in July. So he is not technically unschooling age yet, um, but he, is, he loves cars and all sorts of vehicles. Um, and he loves Legos and he loves plants in the garden and he loves animals. Um, and he is a very strong-willed and persistent uh, an opinionated little soul, which I'm grateful for every day because it has pushed me as a parent um, much more than a more laid back kid would have done. Oh, I love that because that was, I, I can just go right back there, right? Because that was my experience as well. And and to be able to make that shift and and, you know, just thinking like long before I heard of unschooling or, you know, because my kids originally went to school, but from that young age, they just had so much spirit, so much opinion, and, and it didn't seem wrong. So it, it, it is a fun yet busy stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how did, how did you actually come across unschooling? Um, so we had been considering homeschooling in some fashion since before, long before my son was uh, yeah. conceived. Um, and I... I knew homeschooling existed at least since I was in high school, if not younger. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when my son was really tiny, like three or four months old, actually, um, we went to this place called lab school where we used to live. Um, and it was like part school for kids. Uh, it only went through pre-K, um, birth through pre-K, basically. But really their focus was parent education. And it was very focused on a peaceful parenting, um, conscious discipline mindset. And so that was really my introduction into non-traditional parenting practices. But at the same time, the child part of it was just kind of ridiculous because, you know, I mean, it looked more like a traditional pre-K for the little bit older kids, you know, but my son's class was kids under a year mm -hmm. and they would have... I mean, they would set up some cool activities, you know, like things that were messy or required expensive climbing equipment or whatever that would be hard to do at home. Yeah. But it was like there was this set block of time for art and a set block of time for stories and a set block of time for sensory play and then a set snack time and all of these things with these very, very, very young children. Um, and my son often did not want to go along with that agenda. He, you know, would get into one of the activities and then be really pissed about having to leave it. And having to move. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so I found, I found lab school very valuable uh, for myself, for my own learning and growth. Um, and then we moved when my son was about one and we were going to be too far away to keep going there. Um, and so in my exploration of like, how could I continue this experience that had been valuable for me? 
Um, I mean, I found some wonderful parenting resources and, and that's great. But when I was looking at how to replace the child part of it, I started seeing all these, you know, I mean, homeschool curriculum exists for toddlers, which is ridiculous, but they do. And as I'm looking at them, I'm like, there's no way he's going to do that. I'm going to be fighting with him to get him to do that. There's just no way that he's going to go along with some agenda about sitting down and doing shape flashcards or something. <laughs> and so somewhere along the way as I was going, okay, well, so we're not going to do that kind of school. So maybe we'll look at like a Waldorf or Montessori approach and somewhere. And then, you know, okay, there are things I like about that and things I don't like, and I'm still going to ha have to coerce him to do things. So maybe I need to make my own curriculum. And then I'm going, well, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so somewhere along the lines, I'm like, okay, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. And somewhere along there, I came across some sort of unschooling resource. I do not remember which was the first one I came across. But when I did, I went, oh, well, that's not a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is in one sense, but not in like preparation work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not in like fighting with the kid to make them do it work. Mm -hmm. um, it's work that doesn't feel like work. It's work that feels like play and fun. <laughs> um, so, so since then, so I guess my son was about one or just over one when I discovered the concept of unschooling. And so since then, I've just been reading and listening to your podcast and, you know, trying mm -hmm. to take to heart the idea of applying a little bit and seeing what happens and then applying a little bit more and seeing what happens. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And that's one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you when you suggested it, because I know um, in the past I talked about how attachment parenting um, can transition pretty seamlessly into unschooling as children hit school age. Right. But you know, I didn't discover that didn't discover attachment parenting when my kids were younger, um, that's been more based on my reading of attachment theory um, than my own experience. I mean, like you, I was kind of feeling it out and going that direction because I was following my child, but that was just because that's what made sense to me, right, at the time. <laughs> um, but you're engaged in attachment parenting circles right now, so I am excited to hear your experience. So have you found the attachment parenting and unschooling mindsets diverging as your son is entering like toddlerhood, I guess? He's two, did you say now? Yes, he's two in about two and nine months. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I don't want to paint all attachment parents with the same brush by any means. <laughs> because I think that actually, in theory, I think yeah. a lot of attachment parenting ideas go more seamlessly with unschooling. Exactly. But I think a lot of people who come to attachment parenting or who have a lot of those ideas when their children are infants still have a lot of the traditional sort of parenting goals. They still mm -hmm. want to accomplish X, Y, and Z with their child. They still want their child to have a predictable bedtime and they want their child to eat at certain times or they want their child to cooperatively get dressed in the morning or whatever thing they want to happen easily parenting, but they want to accomplish it without force and certainly without violence and without screaming. And so uh, they are looking for gentle control rather than making this 
huge paradigm shift of trying to let go of the control altogether. Um, and so that's where, as I have learned more about unschooling, where I've started to become frustrated with some of the advice that I get in those circles, because I'll, you know, I'll struggle with something that's, that's unique to a toddler, you know, that somebody with an eight or nine year old is going to be like, yeah, in five years, you won't even remember that, which is helpful and not helpful at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but the attachment parenting advice will be, you know, okay, well, um, you know, natural consequences or, or rewards or things like that, uh, you know, that aren't quite what I'm looking for. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I think it can be very useful, uh, certainly in shifting a mindset away from um, punitive control of children, but it yeah. doesn't maybe go quite as far away from control as unschooling mindset does. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's a, a great point, uh, how it toddlerhood is when it becomes more pronounced, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, as infants, uh, infants are fairly easy for the most part. I mean, of course, there are infants who are really challenging, but, you know, most of infants' needs are meetable if you can figure out what they are, you know, mm -hmm. infants want to be held, they want to be fed, they want their diaper changed. They don't, you know, they don't have a lot of wants that either can't be met or, um, you know, or a lot of frustrations that need to be expressed, but not necessarily fixed, you know, and then as they become toddlers, they start to have a lot more emotions that they need to express and that need to be supported, but not necessarily fixed or handled or dealt with by the parent, mm -hmm. uh, which is really hard, I think, for a lot of parents who didn't grow up with it, um, and with it being normal to express emotions and have those emotions listened to by somebody, <laughs> you know. And toddlers also start to develop a lot of agency and have a lot of their own opinions about, about how things should go and how they want their body to be treated and they can communicate those opinions more. Mm -hmm. So where an infant might've had opinions, but you didn't know it, <laughs> a toddler is going to make real sure that you know what they think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just physically, they're now able to get around, right? Like yeah. the whole point of agency. Now, now they can actually accomplish it. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. And, and, and it makes so much sense. So I thought it would be fun to dive into a few examples with you. Um, I was hoping you'd share some ideas for parents who are looking to work together with their young children, rather than that gently controlling them to do or, you know, not do the thing that they want or don't want in that moment. So I thought maybe we'd start with bedtimes. So my son has never been a child who has slept super predictably, um, even when he was an infant. And, um, and there, has, there has been a lot of pressure from some sources, and, and there's a sort of a societal idea that it's a good and important thing for really young children to sleep on a predictable schedule. Mm -hmm. and, um, and in particular, that really young children need a really early bedtime. Um, and my son is a night owl. Um, which 
when he was really little wasn't as obvious because like a kid, you know, a, a six month old who stays up till 8 p.m. is not really like it's not impacting the adult schedule. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but now that he's not sleeping as much of the day, it's more clear that he is definitely a night owl. And my husband and I are too. So it's not like that should be a surprise to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is sometimes a challenge because, you know, we'll get comments from complete strangers out in public, you know, like, shouldn't you already be in bed or oh, somebody's up late or, you know, <laughs> things like that, that, um, which fortunately at this point, we're fairly confident in our, in, in that he's doing just fine with his own sleep. Um, so, but we have had to get creative to make sure that everybody is getting enough sleep. Uh, and especially when like my husband has to get up at a certain time for work. Um, and so he needs to make sure that he's getting enough sleep. And so there are some nights, um, where I have to try to find ways to keep my son relatively quiet, you know, at the other end of the house mm -hmm. <laughs> so that my husband can go to bed if he's got to get up early. Um, you know, and there are lots of times where I will sleep in until my son wakes up because that's how I get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and we've had to get creative about, taking advantage of if he goes to bed a bit earlier or if he takes a nap um, about making sure that we take that time to be together and don't go, well, I was planning on doing this tonight and we were planning on hanging out tomorrow night and, you know, just taking those, those opportunities when they, when they come exist up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and learning to be very flexible um, and to, but um you know, it's also been helpful as we've started looking at it from an unschooling perspective to think of, to look at um, really observing him and his cycle mm -hmm. um, because without like trying to force him to go to sleep at a certain time, you know, we've started to notice the behaviors that show that he's starting to get sleepy, not like enough to go pass out now. Mm -hmm. you know, but like, okay, so he's, you know, he's doing these things that are his kind of cues that he's starting to get a little tired. So that's when we start turning the lights down, you know, and that's when we start suggesting reading a story or something that's calm and quiet, you know, and then there's another set of sort of cues that he has when he's really getting close to falling asleep. And so that's when I can suggest, hey, let's go in the chair together and he'll usually go yeah that's, that sounds good yeah. <laughs> um so yeah looking at it from a perspective of sort of guiding him to help him follow his own rhythms you mm -hmm. know that he may not be re ready to follow totally on his own um rather than trying to force him to follow a clock to go to sleep yeah oh I love that and I love the idea of rhythm and and often like on the podcast we talk about flow too right it, and it's learning you're learning so much about him to help him follow his flow you know what I mean like I love the way you talked about um, seeing his cues you know because that's a, a way you're helping him explore his cues right yeah, right now you are, you know, kind of identifying them and using them to point in uh, a direction to support him, right? In the way that uh, you think he's trying to to express, right? And that's how uh, 
that that whole feedback loop, right, of doing that with you is is learning for him about learning about himself. It, it becomes, you know, if if it works for them, they start to eventually notice those cues and like, oh, so that's when we do this, and then that's when we do that, right? It's it's right. such a great way to learn about yourself rather than, like you said. You know, some kids do want to go till they drop, but so often, you know, having a routine around the things that we do um, regularly, especially around bedtime, um, is something that's that's very comforting. You know, so so I love the way you talked about bringing that all together. You know, because so often when people hear, you know, it's a classic unschooling new person you don't have bedtimes oh well then okay I'll, we'll take away bedtimes then we're not supposed to have bedtimes and then you know everybody just runs around oh, and off. screaming yeah. upset and crash right yeah so, there's a totally different and, way to go about it <laughs> and it's funny because you know toddlers haven't yet learned how to like censor themselves and so so the experimentation with that is so clear cut, you know, mm -hmm. like he'll say in exactly so many words, mom, I'm really tired, but I don't want to stop playing. Yeah. You know, and you can see him experiment with, you know, with staying up later than he really should, you know, and feeling like super tired and cranky and then being super tired and cranky the next day if he doesn't sleep in long enough or mm -hmm. whatever. And, you know, you can see you can like almost see the gears turning in their head as they start to make those connections of like, oh yeah, I didn't want to stop playing last night. So now I don't have the energy to play at all today. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I know children are capable of learning right from the get go, aren't they? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> really just amazing to watch. Okay. So the next one we were going to talk about was sharing. So now that we're, you know, moving away from control and more into connection and working with our kids, how do you approach that? So sharing is one that I think is loaded for a lot of people with a lot of fear and anxiety for the future, you know, with a lot of like, oh, if my, if my two-year-old isn't sharing, then they're going to be, you know, nobody's ever going to be friends with them. Yeah. You know, they're never going to be able to have good relationships with people. They're never going to share. Yeah. <laughs> they're Isn't never going to care about anybody you know, but themselves. They're going to be that lone teenager <laughs> <Right>. with nobody. <laughs> right. And so then they're, you know, they're coming into like, you know, two two-year-olds who want the same toy with all of that piled on top of it. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I found very helpful is to step back from that and just be in what's happening right now in this moment. Um, and also that when, you know, when you can kind of, let, it's almost like things slow down when you let go of some of that like baggage and urgency and intensity about it, mm -hmm. things slow down enough to where, you know, where I can, in the same span of time that someone else might be yelling at their kid to share, um, that I can see, you know, oh, in this situation right now, it's that they both want this toy. And there's only one of it. Or in this situation right now, it's that um, it's that one of them is tired or hungry and is just feeling or is overwhelmed by the number of kids around and is just feeling frustrated. Um, or, or maybe this really is a very special toy to one of the kids and they're mm -hmm. probably not ever going to want to share it, you know, or at least not 
in this, this play date or this, you know, um, but when, you know, when, but all of those sort of have a different response, you know, um, and I've also found that it can be very helpful when as a parent, you know, there's the internal programming saying I need to do something, you know, and then there's the external, like all these people are watching me to see what I'm going to do with my kid. Who's not sharing. (laughs) 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 And that it can be helpful to sort of feel like you're doing something, but without grabbing the toy away or yelling at the child to share, um, to reflect, you know, to say, Oh, you both really want that truck. Or, hmm, it sounds like you have different ideas about how to play with that toy or whatever. (laughs) But describing what's going on to them. Um, Or if one kid has already grabbed a toy away from the other, like, oh, it looks like he's really sad to not have that toy anymore. Um, And that um, sometimes one or both kids respond to that reflecting by sharing. Or by offering some other kind of solution, you know, suggesting a toy the other child can go play with instead or something, you know, it's amazing how even at two or three, they can, they cannot start offering their own solutions to these problems. Um, And, you know, and sometimes I just end up comforting one child while they're upset um, and still, you know, verbalizing that for them to the other child that, that, you know, it looks like this child is really upset not to have the the toy. It looks like they really, really wanted to play with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, my son's very introverted and so, uh, and he gets easily overwhelmed by a lot of kids being around. And Mm -hmm. so, um, one of the ways that that shows up is by, he doesn't want to play with them because he doesn't want to interact socially. Yeah. So if he's feeling like he doesn't want to play with the kids, it usually shows up as not wanting to let the kids play with the toys he's interested in. Right. Yeah. Um, but so, but it's more and more often now that, that when that comes up that he suggests where they, what toy they should go play with or, um, you know, or that he even says, I don't want to play with you right now, which probably sounds inappropriate to some parents too, but it's very honest yeah. and very forthcoming. And <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, uh, and also I think it's, it's helpful, maybe helpful for people to realize that it's not normal for two and three-year-olds to share the way people think two and three-year-olds should be shared. <laughs> it's normal for two and three-year-olds to have very clear ideas about what they want to be doing with their toys and not want anybody else to be interfering with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, what you're describing in, in just in their language, explaining what's going on in the moment, that that's how they learn, right? That's how they're gaining experience with those moments. And like you said, now your son is to the point where he's starting to offer some solutions along the way, right? When these things come up. So, I mean, that's, that's the whole point, right? Instead <laughs> of the, the rule you know, right. says you have to share and jumping right. in, letting them um, learn through those experiences, those moments when it happens. 
you know, right. not setting it up and it's not, you know, the whole natural consequence thing. Oh, if you don't share, right. then I'm going to take it away because then <laughs> play with it. Right. You know, maybe right. that's <laughs> right. I mean, because when we project this out into the future, right, when he's 15 or 20 or 40, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that we want our kids to give away whatever they have just because somebody else wants it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, none of us do that as an adult. Even if we're very generous and gregarious, we don't give away everything we have just because somebody else wants it, right? And but we, we don't want... ask other people for things. Right, out of exactly. The room, right? right, I, see. I like that car. That I want that really car. special to them, right? <laughs> but we do, we do hope that when they're grown up, that they will, you know, that they will see somebody else feeling sad or left out or hurt and that they'll want to help not necessarily by giving them something, but that they'll want to find a way to help that person feel better. It's about the people, not the thing, right? Right. (laughs) It's about the kids that are involved, the people, you know, whatever age that are involved in that moment, not, not really about the thing that they're fighting over or, you know, both interested in, et cetera. Like, yes, at any point it's about the connection and the people involved. And it's almost never really about the toy they're fighting over anyway. Yeah. You know? It's it's really about how they're learning how to play with each other, mm-hmm. you know, or it's about something totally unrelated, like being tired or hungry or, exactly. you, know, you know, but it's not, it's not really about the car or yeah. the train or whatever the specific item is. It's never really about that. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Which, Which is why well, buying two of them doesn't solve problems. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I remember there was some, oh my gosh, it was a book I had as a child and it was like these two princes and, you know, it was a, it was a book about sharing and, and how they each wanted the same thing. So their parents bought them two of everything and it didn't solve everything. No, of course not. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. So let's dive into another big one that I know um, a lot of people ask about teeth brushing, <laughs> toothbrushes for brushing your teeth. Yeah. Um, so I know lots of other unschoolers have talked about, about the actual science about, you know, about teeth and about tooth decay. And so I don't, I don't think we need to rehash all of that, but, um, but specifically with really little kids, Mm -hmm. um, I have met very few really little kids who like brushing their teeth. (laughs) So this seems to be something that basically everyone deals with. Um, and it's another, it's another great opportunity for creativity and for observing what it is that the child doesn't like, you know, is it that the child doesn't like something being stuck in their mouth? Is it that they don't like something being done to them without their involvement? Is it they don't like the taste or the texture or that they're already so tired by the time it's happening before bed that they can't cooperate with anything? You know, what, what specifically is going on with that child? You know, um, and so we have played various games at various points. Um, my, we've we found some some wipes that have xylitol in them, which we originally got for like if we're out, we keep some in the diaper bag. So if we're out and he looks like he might fall asleep on the way home, we use them. Um, but 
Sometimes he'll request that instead of a toothbrush when we're at home. Um, and that's always an option to him. Um, you know, we've looked at like other types of brushes, like they make these like wide flat brushes that are meant for like the gums of infants. Oh yeah. But there's no reason you can't put, you know, toddler toothpaste on them and let the kid chew on it. I mean, it's basically a little silicone teething toy almost. Yeah. Um and currently, I'd say about half the time we play a game and about half the time he's not interested. Um but he's perfectly happy to have us brush his teeth in his sleep and he sleeps hard enough that, you know, that when he first falls asleep, we can just slide the toothbrush in and brush his teeth and he'll sleep through it, which not all kids might sleep through that. And we've told him that that's what we're going to do. And he's like, yeah, fine. Brush my teeth after I go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just that there, you know, there's, there's so many more options than you stand there while I brush your teeth right now or else. <laughs> or else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I love that. It is. It's totally the creativity and, and working with them. Like even if <laughs> I love that, we're going to do that when you fall asleep. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's so true. There's so many options. And like you said, if they're getting too tired, you know, maybe right before bed isn't the time. Maybe you have a different kind of routine, you know, there's just so much to it. And it's that, that, Creatively, I think you can work to find things so that you very rarely, if ever, end up in an or else situation because then then it's all about the power. Again, it's not about the teeth at that point, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I mean, obviously healthy teeth are important, but um, but nobody's teeth are going to rot in two days or three days or four days or a month of not brushing their teeth. You know, so it's not something that necessarily has to be solved today. Try yes. something today and it doesn't yeah. work. Try something try else. Something and else. if that doesn't work, try something else. And in the time that it takes you to come up with 30 different opportunities, uh, options and try them all, something is going to click or else your kid's going to change and grow and something's going to be different. <laughs> something else bothers them <laughs> or it no longer bothers them. But I mean, there's also the, the genetic component too, right? You, that you could be diligently brushing every day and they've got soft teeth and they get cavities. You know, we are so, it's working through that shame piece too, right? That feeling of judgment if my child has cavities or whatever. And we are just so conditioned to blame ourselves mm -hmm. for so much of everything, right? To do with our children. Where as, you know, just working with them and being creative and living with them, that, that gets us where we can go. Right. Right. Yeah. And this is also a great opportunity for modeling, you know, yeah. I mean, brushing, brushing your own teeth in front of your kids, doing it together yeah. kids, and talking about why you brush your teeth, you know, and not just because I don't want my teeth to rot, but yeah. you know, like, like my teeth feel funky when I wake up in the morning. So I like to brush them first thing when I get out of bed, you mm -hmm. know, and then my teeth feel better and my food tastes better when I eat breakfast, you know, and that's, that's I don't brush my teeth in the morning really because of, you know, wanting my teeth to be healthy. I brush my teeth in the morning because I don't want my mouth to taste funky. Yeah. You know? And that, <laughs> but sharing those things, you know, sharing those kinds of, 
the realities of why we make the decisions that we make about our own health and our own bodies. Yeah. Yeah. No, just living, living actively alongside them, not, not hiding all those little pieces. You know, if, if we notice that we usually brush our teeth after they go to bed or whatever, we can change up our routine too. And it's like, yo, going to brush when they do, or maybe we do it together. We make the point in the morning, you know, maybe it's easiest when everybody's fresh and, you know, because as as I've heard, as long as you've got, you know, one brush in a day, that's, that's fine. I know, I know that's what my dentist told my kids. As long as you get to them at least once a day, you're good. You know, so, and (laughs) my kids are good at that. Like dentist is one of my phobias from my childhood. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I don't like it, but I, worked hard not to really transfer that to them. So, you know, they're brushing their teeth. They're like, oh, I want to go see the dentist now. They're all like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll take you. laughs> Will you hold my hand while I take yeah. you to the dentist? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, okay. How about um, some tips that you might have with regards to young children and technology? Yeah, so this was has been one of the hardest things for me um, because I grew up with a very restricted and controlled use of technology. Um, and actually, as I was making notes for this, it occurred to me that I grew up with really restricted access to TV. But back then, uh, when I was really little, most people didn't have a computer in their house, but we yeah. did because my dad worked with them. And so that made us like, oh, your kids have access to this amazing educational tool that the step ahead. <laughs> and now, of course, you know, computers are for a lot of people lumped in with TVs and tablets and phones as all being all rotting your brain. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it took me a while to get around to seeing how technology could be useful um, and could be a learning tool um, with without explicitly doing educational content, you know, but just um, and, um, which, I mean, lots and lots of unschoolers have talked about all of the, all of the wonderful things about technology. Um, but specifically with young kids, um, I think there's a lot of pressure about this recommendation about no screens before age two. And so there's a, I think a lot of fear, you know, some of the same fear that, that all parents have, but really and a lot of extra pile of judgment mm-hmm. piled on to parents of, of young kids or fear of judgment at least. Yeah. Um, that if other people see your kid using a phone or, you know, or watching something on a tablet, they're going to assume that you're an unengaged parent who just sits their kid on the couch all day and doesn't ever interact with them. Yeah. Um, and so that's definitely a huge piece for, for all parents, but I think maybe especially parents of really young children to work through. Um, but also then to make sure that you're not just abandoning them on the couch with the device when they're interested in yeah, watching yeah. something, <laughs> because especially young kids. Um, like my son knows how to find a new video on YouTube now, or at least if it's in the like list of recommended videos attached to whatever he's watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course he's not writing, so he can't like search for something on his own. 
Um, so if he's not interested in any of the videos that are there on the screen, then he needs help to search for whatever he's looking for. Um, but when he first started watching videos on YouTube, he didn't know how to change the video yet. And so it really required me to be very present while he was watching uh, and to be really watching him so that if he found himself watching a video that looked interesting, but then turned out to be violent or, you know, or something that made him uncomfortable, that I was paying attention to be able to help him change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe other kids would, you know, immediately scream and yell if they found a video they weren't comfortable with, but my son sort of would draw, would draw inward instead. Yeah. So he would get more quiet. So if I was on the other side of the house doing something, I wouldn't necessarily know that he was getting uncomfortable and needing help. Um, and so it was really important that I was there next to him and engaged in watching. Um, and, and also I think, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of parents fear is that their kids are going to find something inappropriate mm-hmm. watching videos if they're not controlled and restricted. And a lot of the things that parents are afraid their kid are going to find are things that are really unlikely that your two-year-old is going to find. You know, your yeah. two-year-old's not likely to find porn on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're not going to find something they are uncomfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction because like um, my son's really interested in cars and vehicles. And a lot of people think that little boys should be all about cars crashing into each other and, you know, monster trucks crushing other cars and things like that. And some are, and that's fine, but mine is not. Mm -hmm. Mine views cars basically as people. And so he finds that as horrible to watch as, you know, as you and I might find like a really gory scene, a really gory murder scene in a movie or something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so I think there's a place where somebody who's not paying really close attention might be like, oh, well, that's fine. You know, he should be fine watching that. But he's not. Mm -hmm. And he needs help. (laughs) You know, he needs help to change it to something that he is comfortable with. Um, so I think it's really important for really young kids who may, may, for parents of really young kids who may not know how to do all of the things with the device themselves, that the parent is staying really engaged and observing what's going on for the child. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great point to be there with them. Cause I mean, in, in all the things that we've talked about, um, it, it's been about the connection with the parent, right? It's yeah. been about being engaged with your child. Like that's this lifestyle. If you're choosing this lifestyle um, and to be there with, I, I just love that, you know, watching for his cues again, you know, another connection that we've seen, whether it's cues, you know, for tiredness or cues for things bothering them and to brushing their teeth or, or things that they're looking for. And because at, at that young age, I know I've, I've talked before about how at that young age, we're kind of their hands, right? Because there's things that they want to do um, that they aren't yet 
capable of doing for themselves, right? So when they're, and sometimes they want to do it for themselves, right? You know, then no, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And and mm-hmm. having the patience and letting them do it themselves is awesome. But other times they just want the thing done. I want to see the next video. Oh, I don't like that. I want to change it, you know? So to be there and engaged with them so that we can do those things for them so that, you know, what they're engaged in uh, stays connected with what they're thinking, right? right? They're, they're accomplishing what they're wanting to accomplish. And so they're gaining the experience that they're looking for in that moment. You know, so right. I, I love that point about uh, being their hands and, and helping even, you know, they might not even know why they're starting to feel uncomfortable whether it's with a video or a game or something they're watching or whatever, right? But that's, again, us noticing the cues and saying, you know, would you like to change that? Would you like to stop that? Would you want to go do something else? You know, you're just helping them learn more about themselves in that moment, right? They're like, oh, yeah, I am feeling icky. Right. They may not have made that connection between how they're feeling and what they're seeing or something like that, right? So yeah, staying engaged with them, that that's a huge piece. I, I love that. That's and the the other piece that you mentioned, the shame mm-hmm. and the judgment that we can feel from other parents. I mean, that is something for us to to work through, right? When we <laughs> let's face it, unschooling is unconventional, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you're gonna need to start working on that <laughs> yeah as uh as early as you can you know yeah. um and and it's going to keep coming up you know as they hit different ages there's different expectations in society etc and us knowing our child because for me that was a huge piece that helped me work through so much because I was engaged with my child I knew my child I knew what they were getting out of whatever it was they were choosing to do or not to do you know why they didn't want to do this and why they did want to do that so that always helped me get more comfortable uh, and pass that judgment like I can see why you're thinking that because that's very you know conventional that's the way most people think but that doesn't actually relate to my situation. You know, that's how I could talk myself through it, you know, when I was feeling something, right? Right. Yeah, I love that. That was great. Oh, look, our next question. (laughs) (laughs) Conventionally, there's a big push for early childhood education. I mean, you can get a degree in it. And then Mm -hmm. there's, there's like whole industries around that. And I suspect that you have felt that push already. And I was curious about how you respond to that through the lens of unschooling. Yeah, it's amazing how pervasive this idea is of, uh, of educating children from, Very, yeah. from birth, but yeah. really, especially from about two or so. Um, and so in some ways, I actually think it might be easier for parents of really young children to start to make that shift with seeing learning happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even mainstream parents don't think that you need to like teach a child to walk. Yeah. For instance, you know, and so I think it, it, if the ideas come along in the right time in the right way, that it doesn't need to be that big of a leap to go, oh, well, if I don't need to teach them how to walk, then I probably don't need to teach them how to, you know, 
learn their numbers or something as well. You know, these things will come yeah. up. Um, and also the things that really young children are expected to learn are so prevalent in life. You know, colors and shapes and numbers and letters are everywhere. You know, where like calculus might not be so obviously a part of everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in some ways it's a little bit easier to make that that mental shift. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, the more you lay that foundation the younger you lay that foundation, the easier that is when they are school age. Um, but it can be challenging to be around parents who have a more um, traditionally education mindset, you know, and, uh, and are already starting to quiz kids on <laughs> on you know whether they know their numbers in the right order and things like that, you know. Um, and um, so it's definitely it's been a process to start to see, you know, sometimes it's obvious where something translates to academic learning. Um, you know, like since he's really into cars, all the cars have numbers on them, mm -hmm. you know, and so he's like learned to read numbers just from being interested in cars, cars and being obsessed yeah. with knowing which car is which by the number. That's yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but then there's other things that are not necessarily as obvious how they translate into academic learning. And so, um, so already it's, we're having to start making that leap of faith and that trust in him that, you know, that he's getting what he needs when he needs it. And that, you know, that he will learn all of the things that he needs to know in his own way, in his own time, without necessarily looking like he's learning those things. <laughs> I mean, like the numbers, you know, I had no idea that he had really figured out numbers, you know, because he could just be memorizing, you know, that every time they talk about Cruz Ramirez, they say she's number 51, mm -hmm. right? Like he could just be memorizing that. Uh, it didn't really occur to me that he had learned to read all of the numbers, not so much the 51, but the five and the one. But yeah, yeah. You know, until we're out walking down the street and he starts saying, that house is seven, six, eight. I'm going, what? <laughs> 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 because it's, you know, it's not obvious until after the fact. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, of course, he, that's where he got that. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes, where the heck did you get that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but I mean, learning, learning doesn't start at five years old any more than it ends at 18 years old. Yeah. You know, so the sooner that we can embrace the way they naturally learn, the less e-schooling they're going to have to do to get back to a place where they can naturally learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point because as soon as you start bringing in those expectations of thing they, things they should know, that stuff they have to work through, you know, to realize, well, is because that places value on something somebody else tells them they should know and which, right. which then devalues what they're interested in, right? That it makes your interests, no matter your age, like we just, we just call them hobbies and we downplay them all the time right? That's what I can do after I get my work done, right? 
you know, so that has to, has to get worked through so that you can value what it is that you're learning and doing every day. So I think that that's a great point, but also how, if you start looking at it right there where, you know, they're learning to walk and talk and, and they're learning so much just about their environment and, and all their experiences and everything. I mean, we're always learning, but wow, you know, those first few years is crazy with learning. (laughs) You know, if you can um, work through that need that, that there's a timetable, you know, early childhood education, you know, this is stuff they need to learn early. It's only early because you think they, because they need it for school. Right. Right. It's only because it's preparation for this particular learning environment. And if they're not going to be following that schedule. Right. You know, I mean, there is value for a child who has to go to school because, you know, a lot of it is is through reading. You know, that's why they want to teach those letters and teach reading early because reading is very important in school because that's how they're going to get their information there. That's how they're going to be writing their tests and, and, and everything. So if they're not reading that impacts all their learning, right? In, in every subject, because it's all communicated through that. But once you can get through that process and realize that, okay, that's a school timetable, Right. And, and it's not a human timetable and that human timetables are valuable to the, to the individual. Right. And it's interesting once you let go of that end product, Mm -hmm. then you can see all of the things that happen along the way that are interesting and valuable in their own right. You know, I mean, of course my son is not reading yet and, you know, isn't, close to reading, (laughs) but, you know, but because we're not focused on, well, he needs to hurry up and get to this end result of reading. We can see all of these things that every child has to master before they can get to reading. But that I think a lot of people don't notice because they're so focused on that end goal. End goal. Yeah. And so like, for instance, um, you know, he's starting to recognize letters not all of them and not all of the time, but sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he'll make connections. Like he, he invented this game where he takes letter, his letter magnets off the fridge and he'll ask me for something that starts with that. Um, and I forget which letter he started with, but he said, mom, what's, what starts with this? Ah. And I told him something and he ran off and came back with that toy. <laughs> and started playing this matching game where he'd pick a letter and I'd tell him something that started with that letter that he has a toy of and he'd go get the toy and collect them all. So and, you know, and that is entertaining in its own right without mm-hmm. it being about learning letters or about making progress on some track to reading, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and it's making connections in his mind that, you know, that these things relate to each other you know? Yeah. And then like just recently he's made the connection that where there's letters, there is a thing that can be read. So he's just started asking me to read signs to him or, you know, or pointing out, um, like if I read a story, but then I close the book and he sees that there's text on the back cover that I haven't read, you know, he'll say, what's that part say? (laughs) Um, 
So he, you know, which it's, so it's interesting to see these little connections, you know, that all have to get there before it's possible to be the one sitting down and reading something, you know, and they're all interesting and it's, and they're all, you know, fascinating to discuss with him about what he's discovering about the world and what he's finding out um, without any pressure to get past that, you know, Mm -hmm. and hurry up and make another connection. It's amazing. Like, and it all goes down to what you said before, focusing on the end goal. You know, if your eye is on reading instead of in the moment, engaged with them, just like it doesn't matter about everything else. You see so much when you're engaged with them because they're, they're so capable. They're just so curious, right? Right. They're just trying stuff and figuring out and, and I want to engage with you. Like what, right. what starts with this? I remember um, you know, my kids used to like line up letters and ask me what it said, right? And you're pronouncing this long word. With the vowels, <laughs> right? and they thought that was just the most hilarious thing <laughs> because you know this wasn't they you know and they knew that wasn't a word. So just in there, they're picking up that that the letters that are in words are important and the order of the letters in words are important before they knew what the sounds actually were. Right. Right. It was just some fun, but, but out of every little thing we do, a little experiment game we play, because those are all little experiments for them. Right. I want to try this and see what happens. What, what is, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, it's just so fun to see their minds in action, isn't it? Yeah. And like with signs and, uh, and things like that right now, his interest is not about trying to figure out what the sign says mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, his interest right now is mostly about understanding the social dynamics of like, why is there a sign there? Uh, yeah. You know? So, um, so like there's a place we go to on the beach where there's big signs along the dunes saying not to climb on the dunes. You know, and then there's signs as we're leaving the beach saying to make sure that you've picked up all your trash and stuff. And so, you know, he asks me to read those signs every time we go there. But then his questions are not about like, oh, sound that word out for me or something like that. His questions are about, well, why can't I climb on the dunes? Yeah. Why is that sign there? You know, and so then we're talking about, you know, about wanting to protect a place that's special to us and about you know, that people might not know that it's not okay to climb on the dunes. So there's a sign there to help them, you know, learn what to do in that spot. And so, you know, he's making all these other connections that might be totally missed if I went right from, Ooh, you're interested in words. Let's teach you to read, you know, but but that's not really, but these other things are really valuable for him to understand too, you know, about how we communicate and why we communicate. That was where I was going to go. Yeah. Cause, because writing and reading is, is really all about communicating, right? About communicating a message. So he's seeing that this is a method, a way to communicate something to people and you put it on a sign so you can communicate to everybody who walks by. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Um, just before we wrap up here, I've been having a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Jen. So <laughs> um, but I wanted to just check in with you and see if there were any more ways you wanted to mention that you find the unschooling mindset, you know, just a valuable way to approach your days, you know, even though your child isn't school age yet. I think one of the biggest things is about curiosity, mm-hmm. um, both about seeing his curiosity and, you know, facilitating that and, and giving that space, um, but also about my being curious myself, um, about coming into any situation that comes up, or especially if I don't feel like I know what to do or have the answer, yeah, um, yeah. coming in it with a perspective of curiosity about, you know, what's really going on and why. And, um, and I find that that helps both to get to a place of figuring out what to do, um, Mm -hmm. and figuring out a creative solution to what to do. Um, but also that it helps to remind me by coming in with that, observation perspective that that helps to remind me that he is his own person and having his own experience in whatever the situation is. And so that helps to remind me then to not go in with the agenda of making my own perspective happen. (laughs) That we have the answer, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's huge for sure. That's awesome. And yeah, I, that is something that has just helped me tremendously over the years. It, it really helps just to, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, ego, um, like knowing there's just a beauty in stepping into a moment, not knowing where it should go because as parents you know at first we're told we should know the answer right we should be telling our children where to go and to make this you know model child model adult Mm -hmm. that, that we should always have the answer and we should always be telling them um, what to do, but that shift to just going into a moment observing and being curious as to how everybody else is seeing that moment and how what everybody else is wanting to get out of that moment um it's it it's just not something you um it, it can seem really scary until you've done it a few times i think right yeah <laughs> because you know then then we imagine oh people are just going to take it advantage of us kids are just want to going to want to do the craziest impossible most impossible things but they don't do they <laughs> you know i mean of course they've got really creative and amazing ideas but that's the whole point of going into a discussion it's not like we're not telling them what to do so they're telling us what to do no it's it's just a whole mishmash of discussion and and ideas popping up all over the place. And, you know, maybe our next step is completely unrelated to what our conversation was. Oh, and then we were hungry. So we went to make it. 
<laughs> but yeah, coming at it with that open mind and and what if and and curiosity and just creativity to the moment. It's just a whole different lifestyle, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I think the other thing that's been very useful is um, to get away from comparing. You know, from this, um, I think that, you know, as new parents, when we're like scared that we don't know what we're doing, you know, that the natural thing is like, oh, my baby's spitting up all the time. Is your baby spitting up all the time? Oh, okay. That must be normal. You know, yeah. oh, my baby wakes up every two hours. Does your baby wake up every two hours? <laughs> oh, okay. That must be normal. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it can be reassuring and helpful to a point, you know, but I think especially as children start to display more personalities and they're not doing quite so many of the same things as each other anymore, mm-hmm. um, that it's really helpful. It's almost like unschooling has given me permission to stop worrying about whether my kid's doing the same thing as other people's kids, you know, mm-hmm. um, and to stop Stop thinking of it in terms of, well, my kid's better at numbers than that kid, you know, or, oh no, that kid's better at climbing on the playground than my kid or whatever, you know, but um, to let go of that comparison and also to let go of the anxiety and the fear that goes along with that and to just see my kid in front of me and, and it even makes more room really to connect with other people's children too, because they're not you know, they're not the competitors of my son. Yeah. They're just other amazing children that I can see being amazing in their own right, you know? Oh, yeah. That's such a great point. I, I'd never really thought of it that way, but absolutely. It's just so much more welcoming of each child as an individual, as as themselves, right? Right. Because Because it doesn't matter one to the next. There, there is no comparison anymore. Everybody can just be doing and, and we can enjoy what it is that they enjoy. Like I always love when my kids, uh, friends came over and say, you know, what do you, what do you love doing? And just letting them like any kid, what's your most, what's your most favorite thing? And then, and they can talk right. for ages, right? And they yes. excited whether it's cars <laughs> or dinosaurs or, you know, whatever it is. It's just right. so fun to see them in their element, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And there's a lot of room, I think, you know, when, when, because I don't know a lot of unschoolers locally. So most of my friends and most of my son's friends are, you know, are more conventional parents. Um, yeah at least when it comes to, to education, um, you know, and so there'll be times when, when, you know, somebody comes in with, you know, oh, well, you know, oh, I'm so sorry that my kid is doing this thing and it's so, you know, whatever, coming in apologizing because they're afraid that I'm going to be judging them, yeah. you know, and, and it's, there's so much more room now to be able to say to those people, oh, wow, he must be having a really hard time with that, you know, maybe we can do this and try that and see if that, you know, makes the play day go better today or whatever, you know? Yeah. And you go, oh, and so you just see the parents relax, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so then every, there's so, everybody can connect better like that. You know, everybody can connect so much better when, when, when we can all just see each other as, as individuals where we are without all this other stuff. I know. <laughs> it's so true. Like even now when I'm just out and about, I 
you know, sometimes you'll see a parent with a child who's who's doing, you know, something, whether, you know, they're stop still looking at little flowers or, you know, at some statue, something, or they're, you know, walking very slowly on, um, on like a curb or something, you know, and I always just take a moment to try and catch the parent's attention and just smile, you know, and, and say, that's cool. And you can just kind of see them relax into that, right? Because you can see the pressure, you know, are people starting to get annoyed? Are people starting to look at us? You know, you can see that pressure of judgment just building into into their their posture even, right? So it's it's really nice to be able to acknowledge that and help just put them at ease. And, and it just opens up the situation in the in that moment, doesn't it? Yep. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Jen. That was so much fun. I really appreciate you having me. It was lots of fun. (laughs) And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Uh, So I have a Facebook page that has nothing to do with uh, with unschooling (laughs) um, (laughs) called Adventures Endpoint, um, where I take photos uh, doing ballet and all sorts of strange places when we travel and stuff. Oh, that's um, awesome. Post them just for fun. Um, so people can check that out there. Um, and then you can also find me on Facebook as Jen Kobrick. Um, and you can send me a private message or something like that. Uh, I probably won't accept a friend request if I haven't talked to you and I don't know who you are. Um, but you can definitely send me a message there and connect that way. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also enjoy the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide. Inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey Framework, the book is a weave of myths, contemporary stories, and tales from my own journey. It's not a how-to book. No two paths through the world of unschooling have the same twists and turns. Yet, having a general sense of where you are on your journey can bring valuable insight as you navigate the challenges that will inevitably appear. Remember, you are the hero of your story.